0: Let's go. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're joining us. Uh, Whoever you are, wherever you're from, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, Chinese New Year was a big celebration, so that was pretty cool. Today is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Nancy is part of her family is from Ireland, and when we got married during the first year of our life, we got to go to Ireland and go to County Clare and visit the little town where her grandmother grew up, and we actually got to meet the priest, his name was Father Ryan who assisted the priest that christened Nancy's grandmother way back a long time ago. And this is quite an isolated town, quite a while ago. And so I was at the time working as a pastor at a Baptist church, and he had never met anybody like that before. It's a true story. So Father Ryan said to me, so you're a Baptist, are you? Well, tell me, do you believe in God? And we had a real interesting conversation. And um, so... Whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever your people, tribe, so glad that you're here. The word for today is wow. The word for today is wow. Because when we experience delight or wonder or or gratitude or, or just what a miracle it is to be alive, that's kind of the word beyond definition. Oh, wow. I wonder if we were all to say what the biggest wow of our life so far has been, what it would be for you. It'd be amazing stories here. I read one a while ago, a woman named Mona Simpson was a writer was trying to eke out a, a living in New York City when she received a phone call that she had a biological brother that she didn't even know existed, and he'd learned about her, and he wanted to meet her. It's like something out of a novel she was trying to write, so they met, and he said that He was in technology. She said, that's kind of interesting because she used a manual typewriter, but she was thinking about getting a computer. And he said it was good she hadn't gotten one yet because he was going to design a computer so insanely beautiful she would be glad she had waited. His name was Steve, Steve Jobs. It's a true story. Imagine you woke up one day and found out Steve Jobs was your brother. And that actually happened to this woman, Mona Simpson. She was stunned by his words. I'm your brother. But they were not the most stunning words she ever heard from him. Those words would come later. We will come back to them. But I was thinking, getting ready for this message, what if wow is built into existence, is built into the universe, is built into reality, and we're just too jaded or old in our spirit or warped by sin, and so we keep missing it. So many people live like, God hadn't really done anything for me today. My job is dull. My car is old. My hair looks bad. My kids can't get into a good college because those movie stars and CEOs are cheating. I don't have a spouse, or I do, but I'm pretty sure I got the wrong one. People live as though they have no thing to praise God for. But then we live in this universe of light, And life that exploded, we are told, from a singularity smaller than the head of a pin in less than a second, and you're alive in it. And this morning, you woke up, and you got another day, and your heart is beating, and your lungs are breathing, and your mind works, and you have a church, and you have a God that loves you, and you have, if you want, a Savior who died for you, and you have, if you want, the Holy Spirit of God to guide you, and you have, if you want, a purpose in this life, and the promise of heaven in the life to come, and that's just for starters. Imagine you woke up, and in fact, the God who made all this turns out to be your Father who loves you. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. See, there is a producer of wows. There is a wow-er, and that's God. And then there's a receiver of wows, a wow e, and that's you and me. And when a wow gets directed towards God, the word for that in the Bible is worship. And we're actually commanded to practice worship. The psalmist puts it like this. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. That is his character, his being. Make known among the nations, the peoples, all cultures what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Let the hearts of those Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Oh, wow. And the Bible is full of statements, commands like this. I wanted to say a word about this because in our day, a lot of people wonder why. Why would God want people to constantly praise Him and worship Him? That seems a little needy, doesn't it? Can you imagine a movie star or a CEO or a politician, so egotistical that they want a bunch of people to stand around telling them how great they are all the time? And people wonder, so like, is God like that? A great thinker, C.S. Lewis, wrote that before he became a believer, this idea of God commanding people to praise him troubled him for these reasons. But then he noticed something about the human spirit. Anytime we see beauty or excellent something that's admirable our experience of it is actually incomplete until we're able to express our joy if we just had to say nothing just sit on our joy it would be unsatisfying joy naturally overflows into praise it just wants to and so we say to each other we love this kind of stuff you got to read this book you got to watch this video you got to listen to this song you got to drive down to big sur and see the coast or other you got to try this food Joy uh, inevitably flows over into praise. Take it one more step now. Let's say that you're a single man, just hypothetically, and that the excellence and beauty and goodness that you see is in a single woman. Whom do you want to express your praise to? This could be why there are so many single men in our congregation. Not intended to be a trick question. The correct answer would be you want to tell her. If, if there's a woman, in, or it could go the other way, and you think, this is a fabulous person, this is an amazing person, then you want to tell that person. A parent longs to express delight not just about their child, but to their child. A lover longs to praise the beloved. We're born primed to praise. We're just that way. And so God delights in it, not because God is this needy, empty character that you know, has a Low sense of self-esteem and has to have people propping it up all the time. Quite the contrary. In the ancient world, uh, worship generally involved sacrifice. And often people believed that was because the gods needed food. In fact, for Israel in the ancient Mesopotamian world, most other uh, creation narratives included the idea that the gods created people to raise food to feed them. That's what sacrifices were about. And, of course, for the God of Israel, that is not the case. There's actually a line from that God in the Psalms that I love. God says to people, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) Like, if I had an appetite, I have plenty of ways to, you know, satisfy it without needing you to do anything about it. In other words, God is not needy physically or emotionally. He delights in our praise because it means that we're awake to all of the gifts, to all the goodness, to all the beauty, to the wonder of what it is, to the absolute miracle of being alive. We all have what might be called a kind of a wow threshold. In other words, the amount of goodness that needs to flow into your life to trigger delight. Some people go through the day, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. It takes so little to trigger thankfulness and praise in them, a flower, a sunset certain kind of food. And then other people get old in spirit and jaded and cynical, and self-preoccupied, and have not said wow for a long time. Everybody has what might be called a worshiping mind, spirit, tendency towards gratitude, wonder, praise, and delight, or uh, a non-worshiping mind and spirit. The worshiping mind, the worshiping person, Uh, is intensely open to joy, always looking for it, Uh, very aware of gifts and grateful for them, quite confident in God, very humble in themselves, and so they're experiencing things as undeserved gifts on a regular basis, generally happy. The non-worshipping mind is just the other way, entitled, uh, self-preoccupied, easily irritated, easily discouraged, often quite ungrateful about the past, And often quite anxious, not expectant about the future. And if you look at people, C.S. Lewis noted, people who are growing, people who are thriving, people who are loving are the people that praise the most, and people that are stagnant, people that are cranky or self-centered, praise the least. In fact, praise, he wrote, almost seems to be inner health made audible. Great definition of praise. So, in the time that's left in this talk, I want to talk about how you and I can get worship right. We're in this series, Practice Not Perfect, and we're looking at practices that are required for human flourishing, to live in spiritual vitality, but that also are needed for a church to be a great church. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth because they're having a hard time getting worship right. So he's writing about just this subject, and what I want to do is to put some stakes in the ground. I want to lay out some commitments about worship and invite you to make that commitment in your own life and invite us to do that together as a church that worships God. So here we go. Uh, Commitment number one, we will offer wholehearted worship to our God, not half-hearted, not perfunctory, not casual. Uh, Paul says this to the church, so here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship... Each of you, be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn. Teach a lesson. Tell a story. Lead a prayer. Provide an insight. You notice Paul does not say, if you gather for worship. He says, when? He assumes it's going to happen. so... Uh, You might be just visiting from someplace else or just in kind of seeking mode spiritually. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and if Menlo is your church home, I want to call all of us to make this commitment. When the church gathers to worship God, I will be there worshiping. I'll find another time to do emails. I'll find another time to crank out more work. But when the body gathers to express our devotion to our Savior, I will be there. If I'm a parent and I've got kids, I will model that for my children. I will make sure that having them have adults who pour the love of God into their life that know them and care for them will be my high priority. The writer of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together or assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. So I will commit to what might be called the practice of assembly. I'll actually commit to that. Um, I know a lot of people travel on the weekends at our church. We're doing a series in May called All You Need Is Love. It's about 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest writings about love in human history. And a bunch of our staff spent a day together a couple weeks ago, Uh, Having a wonderful time creating video curriculum that we're going to give to all of our life groups that want it during that series, and they can meet together all five weeks of that series, and we will be experimenting with an online life group so that if you're traveling wherever you are in the world, you can stay engaged with our body right here, and in fact, we're exploring creating a Menlo online campus in the near future. Going to be really cool. A lot of folks travel. Be a really good thing. However, if you're not traveling and you wake up in your regular residence and we launch an online campus and you're tempted to think, hey, I could just stay home in my pajamas instead of gathering in purpose. I could turn Menlo Presbyterian into Bedside Baptist. Is that a good idea? (laughs) No, that's not a good idea. If your body's here, we want our bodies here all together. Another statement from the Bible is God inhabits... The praises of his people. And the idea here is quite a profound, although simple one. It is we are able to experience God together in a way that we cannot quite separately. Now, the reverse is also true. You can experience God in solitude in in a way that's unique as well. And that's why both are needed. When we gather together, somebody comes who lost a family member this week, somebody is depressed. Somebody's got a medical report that's real serious. Somebody got betrayed. And maybe they can't even sing the songs, but you can sing the songs for them. You can embrace them. You can see them. You can pray for them. You can love them. That's actually the main reason that we gather together. I mean, there's lots of ways that information could get disseminated, but we gather together to be able to love each other. And to love God together. And your worship will encourage another person's spirit. I was talking to somebody going through a real deep valley. And she said, when she comes to church, her prayer is, God, who can I connect with that needs help today? And I thought that was so cool. See, when you give love to somebody else, your own heart gets healing. Your own heart gets hope. The psalmist said, that this is our aim in worship, sing the glory of his name and make his praise glorious. Now we're putting stakes in the ground about worship today. Here's one of them. We will make his worship glory. Why should we do that? Well, because he's worth it. He is worth it. He is worth our best praise. When you're dating somebody, if you're crazy about them and you say that you will get there at six o'clock, what time do you get there? Six o'clock, even before six o'clock. When I was dating Nancy a long time ago, I drove a Volkswagen Bug with no air conditioning. In fact, you couldn't turn the heater off an hour in the Southern California heat in the summertime to get to her apartment. I would get there and I would just be a perspiring mess. So I would actually show up an hour early, no kidding, and secretly... Uh, like take a bath in the sink of a gas station that was not far from her apartment because I didn't want to be gross when I got there because this is not a casual thing for me it's not a casual relationship worshiping God is not a casual thing so when we gather come ready to make His praise glorious and that's what. Paul is talking about to the church of Corinth. When you gather, not if, but when, then like come prepared, come ready to think about God and to let other people be built up. Come in a spirit of anticipation. Even, even I know how trivial this will sound, just come on time. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that's easy for you to say. We have little kids that have to be woke up and fed and cleaned and diapered and changed and car-seated and refereed, and it's impossible. I understand. To worship well, you may need to give your kids to their grandparents for 10 years or so. That's part of what grandparents are for. All I'm saying is, worship is like life. You get out of it what you put into it. Life is that way. Worship is that way. And because God is worthy of our best worship, I want to call on me and all of us to intend to offer him the best, to make his praise glorious because God inhabits the praises of his people. It will bless other people. It will bless God. Next commitment, next stake in the ground, as a church and each one of us individually, we will offer God mindful worship. We will not allow our minds to go on autopilot as they tend to do. Part of what Paul was correcting in Corinth was people were so uh, hungry for an ecstatic emotional experience, not bad, but they were after that so much that their minds were kind of going on autopilot. And so he wrote, I should be spiritually free and expressive as I pray, but I should also be thoughtful and mindful as I pray. I should sing with my spirit. The idea is very spirited, expressive singing. And sing with my mind. Worship always begins in the mind because your mind is the only place where you can meet with God. If you are to meet with God, it will be in and through your mind, through your thoughts. Your mind is the most important thing about you. And the most important dimension of your mind is what your mind is fixed upon. And you can fix it. You can focus your mind on anything. This is quite amazing about us. I love the way Beyonce put it. The only interaction you have with reality comes through your mind. This is why the mind and what we turn our minds to is the key to our lives. Actually, it was not Beyonce who said that. It was Dallas Willard. But I get tired of quoting Dallas all the times. So I thought I'd change it up and attribute it. Maybe Beyonce did say it. I don't know. The biggest problem we have with our minds is not the knowledge that we lack. It's the knowledge that we forget. And this is why a constant synonym for worship in the Bible is the little word remember. I remember your name in the night, oh Lord, because I'm prone to forget it. In the night, I'm prone to remember a lot of other stuff, not your name. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, because in the days of your youth, you're kind of prone to forget that. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because my soul, kind of prone to forget all of those benefits, all those gifts, all that goodness. When Jesus instituted the holiest act of worship in the church, communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me, because we forget. Worship always begins in the mind. So I bring God, I bring God's goodness, I bring God's patience, I bring His greatness, I bring His kindness, I bring His love into my mind. Sometimes people think worship just means music, but worship is way, way, way more than music. Adam and Eve worshipped God way before music had even been invented yet. Sometimes people think worship means not just music, but a certain kind of music. What kind of music do you think is God's favorite kind of music? Kind of interesting, when I was a kid, one of the first verses I learned in the Bible, the Old Translation, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you nations. That's a pretty low bar, musically, make a joyful noise. Anybody can do that. Is all the nations, all the peoples, all the cultures, because if that's a different culture, sometimes it'll sound like noise to me, but but I kind of think God loves all kinds of music because he invented it all. And the reason why we often do use music in worship is that worship begins in the mind. True worship always must begin in the mind. But then it, it can't just stay there. It spreads into my whole body, including My emotions to reflect on God without worshiping God is not to reflect on the God, see, because He's so wonderful. My son and I were at the Warriors championship game last year, and there was a moment, some of you will have seen this, some of you will remember this, we were there. There was a moment in the game when Steph Curry almost lost the ball, grabbed it back, he was way far away from the basket, the shot clock was about to go off, he was being guarded by this giant seven-foot guy, Kevin Love, and he threw up a fadeaway impossible three-pointer from Berkeley, and swish, it went right through the, the net, and the crowd went wild. And if we had not praised him, the rocks would have cried out. Make a joyful noise to Steph Curry, all ye lands. Worship is to ascribe worth. Worthy is Steph Curry, worthy to receive our praise. To worship God is to ascribe worth to God. How much worth, how worthy is God? You are worthy. This is the great cry of the entire Bible. This will be the great cry of eternity. This is what gets expressed in the book of Revelation. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Every moment, every gift, every bit of wonder, every bit of joy, every bit of beauty. And we only taste a tiny little bit of it right now. And by your will, they were created and have their being. They keep living just because of you. So we will worship God with our minds and our whole beings. We will do this. I will do this. Next commitment. We will offer God worship as a way of life. And and not just an hour a week. Now, the main problem with worship at Corinth was they were more concerned with having a personally satisfying worship experience Big deal there was the gift of tongues, this kind of ecstatic prayer language, and Paul said, that's great. Paul did it himself, but they were more interested in that than they weren't actually loving and helping people. In other words, they disconnected their worship experience from their actual lives and relationships, and that's a bad thing. There's a very simple counsel from Scripture about how to begin to incorporate praise into your constant, ordinary, moment-to-moment, everyday life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's read those words together out loud. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Everybody can taste, can't they? My dad has suffered for many years from a cavernoma in his brainstem. And although he's always been a real physical person, it has gradually taken away many of the abilities that I just take for granted normal things that he could always do. A while ago, he suddenly and completely lost the ability to swallow. And they had to put him on a feeding tube. They had to put a feeding tube into his stomach, which they say he will need from now on. And my mom and dad had to come to grips with the reality that after 63 years of meals together, they would not share another one. And so now my mom, I was talking to her just this morning about this, will put a little pouch of food into his tube, but she'll say to him something like, oh, you're having steak tonight, John. This little tube of goo. Having a baked potato. His neurologist recently put him on a brain steroid. And a few weeks later, he went to the doctor's office. And at the doctor's direction, my dad swallowed a spoonful of water. And the doctor said, John, I want you to practice swallowing a spoonful of water three times an hour... 12 times a day. So he's been doing that for the last couple of weeks. A spoonful of water, three times an hour, taste and see. This week, he had his first taste of something, and it was coffee. My dad is a Swede, and coffee is... Swedish babies don't nurse when they're born. They start right in on coffee. And my dad thought he had had his last taste of coffee, but Wednesday morning this week, he had two cups of coffee. My dad did. See, it turns out... Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cup of coffee. Oh, wow. Cup of coffee. It turns out tasting is not automatic, it turns out. It's not something to which I am entitled, over which I am in control. It is a gift, taste. It can be lost, taste. It is an act that must be developed and practiced, and stewarded, and done with careful attention. And we are so blind, and sin-soaked, and dead. Taste and see. The sun comes up. Did it again. The smile of a friend. You didn't create that person. Clothes to wear maybe. And food to eat, maybe, and a bed to sleep in, maybe. Other people do not have them, not because I am more deserving than they taste and see. A job to work at, maybe, and how we complain. A healthy child, maybe. The scriptures to make us wise, the Holy Spirit. To live in us, to inspire and enlighten us, the life and the teachings and the presence of Jesus Christ to be our friend. Taste and see, taste and see, taste and see, taste and see. It's a gift, but you gotta practice. It's a stake in the ground now. You gotta learn how. You gotta wake up. You gotta. Leads to the final commitment about worship: that in worship we choose joy. In worship. We will choose joy. We will live in joy. Paul was in trouble. Paul was in change. Paul was facing death when he wrote these words. Rejoice in the Lord occasionally. Is that what he says? Rejoice in the Lord when something really goes your way. When you wake up looking terrific. Your hair is fabulous and you get a raise at work and you win the lottery. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always says, Paul, who knows all about suffering and pain and, and hardship and loss and death. And then just in case somebody didn't understand that he meant it, I will say it again. Rejoice. And this call, this call to joy from a good and powerful God runs all through Scripture. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. One day the trees of the field will clap their hands. like to be there for that. I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy and your joy and your joy, taste and see, taste and see, taste and see, might be complete. So let me ask you, how much does it take? How much does it take? How full does your cup have to be for it to produce joy and delight in you? I was telling you about my dad at the other end of the circle of life. I have a little grandson named Chance. He's about 10 months old and he will smile at absolutely anything. He smiles promiscuously. The other day somebody jumped and he laughed out loud and it was so funny we took a video. Would you like to see and hear the sound of joy for a moment? All right, take a look. I jump. <laughs> uh uh-huh. I think I'll do it again, I'm walking, and... <laughs> okay. I'll do it again, i <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do it again, I'm walking, and I'm jumping! <laughs> yep, I'm walking, and I'm jumping! <laughs> I jumped until I was, I jumped till I puked, man. I could not stop jumping for that. Just to hear that sound one more time. It's unbelievable. And I kept wondering, what is going through his mind to get so much joy from a simple act? Just just this. You give me nothing for this. But he like, <laughs> I was like crack cocaine, man. I just could not stop. Did not know being a grandfather was going to involve so much aerobic activity. I was reading an article this week in Psychology Today that said the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day. The average 40-year-old laughs four times a day. What happens to us? Does the world become less beautiful? What if children are right? What if existence itself is a, what if existence itself, your life right now, is a God created miracle filled with so much wonder that gratitude and delight could be running through us like blood in our veins? And it is our sin and our fear and our lack of faith in God's ultimate power that makes us old and sad and gnarled and ungrateful and withered in our spirits. Maybe that's why Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wow. You are headed, you and I, for eternal joy. You are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy, taste and see. For eternal joy that is so powerful that that laugh of that little child is just a tiny little glimpse of it. Or an eternal loss. And I wonder if you have made the choice to become like a child that Jesus invites us to. See, part of the deal about worship is we'll all worship something or somebody to, to be human makes that inescapable. You will uh, devote your ultimate allegiance, your ultimate devotion to something. Might be money, might be my job, might be my appearance, might be my reputation, but I will, on purpose or, or by accident, For better or for worse. I want to challenge you today to offer your ultimate worship to God. Because your biggest wow moment, whoever you are, whatever impressive things you have done, your biggest wow lies before you. I mentioned earlier Steve Jobs' most amazing words came Later on in life, his sister said, he was, like all human beings, a mass of complexities, amazing gifts, could also be a difficult person. He suffered through cancer. Uh, His biographer writes, he went through 67 nurses to find three that he liked. He was a guy with high standards. When they brought him an oxygen mask, he loved the beauty of design so much that even though he was deeply sedated, he ripped the oxygen mask off because he said it was too ugly for him to wear. And they had to bring him five options of oxygen masks for him to select one. After he died, his sister Mona, that one from New York, told this story just a couple miles from here at Stanford Chapel at his memorial service. She said at the very end, as his breathing was becoming labored, laying in that bed, his family was gathered around him. And he looked at his sister, and he looked at his children, and he looked at his wife, and then Steve Jobs, this amazing life, spoke one last time, and he said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, and then he died. And we do not know what the words mean. We do not know if he was thinking about what was behind him, that extraordinary life, or about what was before him. We don't know if he was being grateful or fearful or if he saw something that nobody else around him could see. We just know his last words were, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. What I do know, what Jesus taught, is that your ultimate wow lies before you. Your final moment will come, and then the moment after that. And I hope you're ready for that moment. If you've never committed your life fully to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. He lived to teach and to show what life with God could be like in a human being. These things I have taught you that my joy might be in you, he said. And then he died uniquely on a cross for the forgiveness of the sins of the human race. And then he rose again for the promise of your hope, yours. And if you want to, you can confess your need for him, your sin. And make him your savior and your friend. And there is no bigger, wow moment for us as a church than when somebody does that. In fact, not just us, Jesus says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. That repents. That's the word of Jesus. When a sinful human being humbles herself or himself, confesses their sin, receives forgiveness, makes Jesus their friend and forgiver forever, crosses over from death to life, all of heaven says, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. God the Father himself says, oh, wow, oh, wow. So I want to invite you to your biggest oh, wow moment this day. In a couple weeks, we'll be celebrating baptism, and you can contact the church and say, you'd like to be a part of that, and we will cheer you on. And I want to give all of us a, a moment to respond. I'll ask the team to come back out. Uh, in thinking about worship and expressing our hearts to God, I was reading last week about the difference between saying to somebody, love you, and I love you. Love you uh, is often said in kind of a casual conversation or maybe between casual friends. I I got it in an email from somebody this week that's a a friend, but uh, it wasn't a real intimate statement. I love you is in a different category. I love you. I can still remember the day when I said those words to Nancy the first time. Being Swedish, those are words that don't come easily. So I had literally never said them to a woman before, although I was in my mid-twenties at the time. That was a big deal to me. It wasn't quite such a big deal to Nancy because she had heard other guys say them. And by the time I had worked up the nerve to say them, we had been married several years. No, it's not true. Uh, This week, somebody was... Uh, telling actually both of us at dinner about a time when they were asked, have you ever said, I love you out loud to God? And she said she had never said those words to God out loud. And she did. It was kind of vulnerable. It was kind of intimate. But she said when she did, her whole relationship with God really changed. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love You, God, you are worthy. So I want to give you a chance to say that to Him today, right out loud I love you, God.